The following is a sermon from Pastor Timothy Borman and Sure Foundation, a church located in Woodside, Queens, New York, the world's most diverse community. For more information and for more audio content, go to sure-foundation.org. Saltiness. How can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. Be seated. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Now, now, believe it or not, I used to actually play soccer. This was way, way back in my grade school days, and I, I went to a grade school called Christ the Lord Lutheran School. And it was just this little school, two classrooms, that's all it was. And we had a soccer team. We were called Christ the Lord Lions. And what, what was unique about our team, this was true of our basketball team, is that I was one of the best players. That's, that's actually when you know you're really in trouble. <laughs> and the other thing about it is that it was, it was co-ed. So we had boys and girls playing together. That was the only way we could get enough people on the field to play against these other teams. And we were bad. We were just this really bad team. And, and the season, my eighth grade season, it was largely forgettable. But there's one game that I can remember. And I don't remember it because I put a goal in, you know, an extra time or something like that. We, we actually won the game. I remember this one game in eighth grade soccer because of the way we lost. It was bad. We went to the school. I still remember showing up at the school, and it was this beautiful building, and they had AstroTurf. It was brand new. That should have been my first clue that this was going to be a good team. And <laughs> the team walked out on the field, and guess what? They were all boys, and I thought, oh, this isn't going to be fair. <laughs> and then the whistle blew, and just a few seconds later, they put their first goal into the net. 
And I thought, uh-oh. <laughs> Here we go. Christ the Lord lines against this school called the village. It sounds even preppy, doesn't it? They were good. By halftime, the score was something like 7-0. to zero. By the end of the game, it was so bad that it looked like the Falcons against the Packers for a second. <laughs> and it was like a football score. Sorry, you Packer fans out there. But the fact of the matter is that this game that I played in was so memorable to me because it was absolutely one of the most demoralizing moments of my entire life. And I want to think about that, that, that word demoralizing with you this morning. It's like the opposite of Nike. You know, just do it. Demoralized is to not do it. It's like halftime of the Christ the Lord Lions versus the village. It's to know that you have no chance at all to win the game and just to, to throw in the towel before you even begin. This is what demoralization looks like. Now, why am I talking about demoralization and demoralized people? I'll tell you why. It's because whether you know it or not, whether you recognized it or not, I'm convinced that the majority of Christian people are absolutely demoralized. I'll say that again. I'm convinced that the majority of Christian people are absolutely demoralized. And it actually comes out most clearly when you get to the Sermon on the Mount. You know what Christian interpreters do with the Sermon on the Mount? The first question that they will ask any pastor, any Christian reader of this sermon, it, the first question that they'll ask is, is this actually practical? Is what Jesus teaches in these coming weeks, we're going to see it all, is what Jesus teaches actually attainable for the Christian man or woman? And we ask this question because we know. We know things like this. We know how assertive the human ego can be. And so we think, well, how can then I be meek? It doesn't seem attainable. We also know this. We know that human sexuality and passions can absolutely run wild. And so we think, well, how am I supposed to not have a lustful look? We think that doesn't sound too practical for the Christian. And, and we know this too, like Jesus says, turn the other cheek. And we, we know this to the very depths of our hearts that we must meet strength with strength. So how can I turn the other cheek? We know this about ourselves, that when somebody does something we don't like, anger quickly rises up, and we, we start to ask ourselves the question, well, how are we supposed to put a lid on it before we say something or do something? And so we think, you know, how is this actually practical teaching? Is it actually attainable? 
And you know what most Christians, you know how most Christian interpreters and pastors interpret this sermon then? And how they answer that question? Is this practical? Is it attainable? You know what they say? No. That's what they say. Say this, we really like Jesus' visionary ethic, but it's not actually attainable in this world that's so broken. And it's not just out there. It's, it's really not. It's, it's not just out there. People saying this, we can't do it. It's people in here. One of the blessings of being a pastor here for a while is you sort of get to know the congregation, the people in it. And if you can remember back with me that some of you were here back in 2011, we actually went through the Sermon on the Mount underneath the sermon title, The Me I Want to Be. Anybody remember this? The Me I Want to Be? Six years ago now. And I remember we were going through the part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, when somebody hits you, turn the other cheek. And a good Christian person came up to me after that sermon, and they said to me, you know, Pastor, how can we do that? And this person went on to say, my kid's getting bullied in school. Am I really supposed to teach my kid just to roll over? Because what I really want to do is put them in karate classes. That's what they said. You notice what's going on in that question? There's an ardent desire to do what Jesus says. But there's this big question mark out there. Does it make any kind of sense to do it? Is it actually attainable? And, and, and so that's why we're talking about demoralization. And I want to talk about that word in two senses. It, we're demoralized because we've given up on the Sermon on the Mount. You notice that? We've given up. We're not even going to try. But there's a, you have to understand what you're giving up when you give up. You're demoralized in two senses. You're actually giving up the morality and the ethic that Jesus teaches. That's what it means to be demoralized in a Christian sense. So today, this is what I want to do today. We, this, we could, and it would be worth our time, we could talk about what it means to be salt in today's very polarized world. And look, I hope you go home and you think about that. I do. I, I hope you go home and you think about what does it mean to be salt, what, it, what does it mean to be light in this world. And it doesn't mean being Republican or Democrat. It means to be different than that. Salt and light. I want you to go home and think about that, but I'm going to make a pastoral choice and say we're not going to think about that corporately. You think about that personally. What we're going to talk about this morning is how to get past this demoralization that is happening to the Christian church. And to do that, we have to focus on verses 17 to 20. So that's what I want to do with you this morning, is talk with you about verses 17 
to 20. And look, when Christians read these verses, the first reaction is actually demoralization. It's the wrong one, but it is. Because Christians hear verses like this. This is what Jesus says to Christians. He says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. So there's this idea out there that Jesus was some kind of hippie. And I think that maybe that's a good conclusion until you hear what he says. Because, look, Jesus wasn't into judgment. He was into mercy. And Jesus had all these sinners following him, prostitutes and tax collectors, all those people who he saw baptized in the Jordan River. And so people were thinking, Jesus is a hippie. He doesn't care about the law. He's blowing off the Sabbath. But then Jesus sits him down on the mountain, and the first, one of the first things out of his mouth that he says is, do not think that I'm a hippie. Don't think that I've come to abolish law. And then he comes, he continues on, he says, we're not going to relax the law in any kind of way. In fact, I'm going to help explain it. Here's what he says. I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. So he's not going to relax the law in any way, is he? Every jot, every tittle, everything that God says applies to you, and, and you better understand that, Jesus says. In fact, listen to what he says to Christian teachers on this point. He says, anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is saying, look, you Christian pastors, you Christian teachers, don't you dare relax the law in any way, because if you do, you're, bare, you're going to eke into the kingdom of heaven just barely. By the skin of your teeth, he says. And then what he's going to do next is he's going to drop a spiritual atomic bomb. It doesn't sound like good news. This is what he says. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. The stakes could not be higher. The stakes are the kingdom of God, he says. And you're in a competition, much like the Christ the Lord Lions were up against the village. It's a competition, and you got to beat the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. So, they're the professional rule keepers. They're the ones that do this for a living. So if we want to put this in soccer terms, this is the Christ, the Lord, lions against man you. Who's going to win? Man, who's going to win? They're the professionals, aren't they? So, okay. So that's pretty demoralizing. Isn't it? 
it seems pretty demoralized, so I guess this is what you should do then. This is what you should do. You should give up. Enjoy lustful glances, you know. Don't turn the other cheek, take karate lessons. Um, just give up. It's not attainable. I'm being sarcastic. I hope you understand that. <laughs> I'm being sarcastic. But it's right here where we have to be very, very careful, and we have to understand what Jesus is actually teaching in his Sermon on the Mount. So I want to I ask you a couple careful questions. Can we agree? Can we agree that Jesus does not mean to demoralize you with these words? No, right? Can, can, can we agree that one of Jesus' purposes in teaching the Sermon on the Mount and laying this on people's hearts is that you would actually raise the level? We can agree about that, right? So I, I want to focus in on just one phrase and just lay this on your hearts, and I carefully skipped it before. Maybe you noticed that. So that I could say it right in this moment. Here's what Jesus says. So important. This makes the whole difference. Here's what Jesus says. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So Jesus, this huge, huge statement right here. This is why I have come. This is why I became incarnate. This is why I bothered to descend from God's throne and take on flesh. This is why I have come. To fulfill. So not to obey the law. Not to reteach it. Not to show you the way. What Jesus said, and not to demoralize you. What Jesus says is, this is, what, this is my purpose. This is why I have come. I have come to fulfill the law. Now we've heard that fulfill word recently, haven't we? Just a few weeks ago. Remember when I got all red in the face and I huffed and puffed like the big bad wolf about how Jesus said at his baptism, he said, I have come, we must do this to fulfill, there's that word again, to fulfill all righteousness. Remember this? So it's a double fulfillment, we could say. And what does it mean to fulfill the law? It's almost as if God laid out all of these empty pictures that needed to be filled up with perfect righteousness, and then Jesus comes along and He starts pouring Himself into them so that He could fulfill all the requirements of the law. This is what Jesus says, I have come to perfectly fulfill the law. And that's exactly what He did. All of his obedience, all of the suffering that was meant for us, he poured it out, and he filled up everything that God demanded. Such an important idea, and I really need you to understand what this means. Because now we are people who stand on the other side of the fulfilled law. That's where we are. We are people who stand on the other side of the fulfilled law. And so what this is, 
as people who are standing right there, you are a person who is now undemoralized. That's not really a word, but go with it. You are now undemoralized because you're not going to lose. You cannot lose. You live on the other side of the fulfilled law. So who, who is the undemoralized you? I'll tell you. This is the undemoralized you. You're the guy who sees an attractive woman and looks away, unless it's your wife. That's what that looks like. And you're the person when anger rises up because somebody you know, took your seat on the train. You're the person who taps it down. You're not defeated. You're the person when your child is bullied in school that you teach them about being a peacemaker instead of enrolling them in karate classes right away. Because when Christian people stand on the other side of the fulfilled law and they hear the Sermon on the Mount, they are like, they're like a lion going after a good steak. Just throw yourself at it. Because there are no threats from the law. You cannot fail. You will win because you're undemoralized. And you have someone who's already fulfilled the law for you. You know, I, I was thinking about this, this, this undemoralization in the context of soccer, like we were saying before. And how demoralized, I remember how demoralized we were at halftime when we were playing the Christ the Lord Lions versus the village. We just gave up. I wonder what it would have been like if Lionel Messi would have showed up at halftime. And he said... I'm playing on your team. You think about that with me for a second. What, what would have happened if he just showed up and said, I'm, I'm playing, I'm a lion now. <laughs> I think the attitude would have completely changed. And that we would have went at that game as bad as we were. With everything that we have. That's the point, isn't it? When we go at this Sermon on the Mount, we're already going at it as victors, as people standing on the other side of the fulfilled law, as people who are undemoralized. Are you ready for this, people of God? Because we're going to go at the Sermon on the Mount with everything that we have in the next couple weeks. So more on that next week. Amen.